All right, I am here with my friend Scott Baranis, who I work with at the school I work at in the special education program. Hello, Scott. Hey, good to be here. Yeah, man, I'm happy to have you on. You're a man that has, I think, lots of wealth and knowledge about, about things. So um, tell us about your, your uh, career in education. Where did you start? What, what have you done? Well, I started out, um, my wife and I, uh, I, she was right out of high school. I was right out of college, and uh, we moved... Uh, Halfway across the country and started my career in North Dakota at a oh, wow. Indian. Oh wow! So did you? Were you? Were you? Did you come up here? I came up here um, after we had been in North Dakota for ten years. But basically, uh, yeah, I got hired over the phone to teach fifth and sixth grade um, just off of, off of an Indian reservation. Wow! Um, I I really didn't. The the superintendent called me, um, wanted my decision like immediately, and I said, "Well, I'm getting married in a couple of days." Um, and I need to, you know, just talk it over with my wife to be. Yeah. Um, I looked on a map of North Dakota and I saw this tiny little Indian reservation, Turtle Mountain Indian Reser Reservation. Yeah. Six miles by twelve miles, and um, and I I I knew, I knew nothing about Turtle Mountains. That that was the name of it. And I said <laughs> Turtle Ma Turtle. That was the name of the school. Yeah. And the and the name of the reservation is Turtle Mountain Indian Reservation. And yeah. I said to the superintendent, I said, "What are those mountains like?" And he said, "Well, you're from New England." He said, "You're going to just think they're like little uh, mole hills." Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, I started out there. I really knew nothing about Indians other than like what I had seen on TV, right. cowboys and Indians. And, yeah. Uh, so it was a really um, eye-opening experience and you know one of the things that I took away from that um, is that the government has done like a really lousy job with how we've dealt with with, Indi with, with Indians with Indians it's pretty pretty disgusting actually yeah. um, the uh, the other thing is gro growing up in Massachusetts which is you know pretty, a pretty where in Massachusetts did you grow uh, Ipswich Massachusetts okay. right north of Boston yeah um, Massachusetts is a pretty liberal state, yeah. and one of my, like the biggest thing I learned when I went up to North Dakota was, geez, not everybody th thinks like they do in Massachusetts. No, so no. Was, uh, they definitely don't think the same way in North Dakota as right. they do in Massachusetts. Exactly. It's, uh, it was a very conservative state. Yeah. Um, people were very friendly, yeah. but you could see there was a, uh, like an animosity. Um, like the relationship with the Indian population was very tense. Yeah. Um, and even like if you were just looking at like North Dakota, beautiful state, like great farmland. Yeah. And what the what they had designated for the Indians was basically right. land that could not be farmed. So it was like a like this big rock pile. It had you know. It was, oh my God. It was beautiful. So, but it, it was not <clears throat> like the rest of North Dakota is like really good you know farmland for like growing wheat and soybeans yeah, yeah. and stuff like it. the indians had this land that was basically so they basically just put them in this little patch of land and said here's your here's your and, and they probably weren't very friendly to them and did they make them feel welcome there probably not i don't i don't you know i um i didn't sense like an open prejudice yeah um, um my wife and I had great experiences. We have we have lifelong friends that we still talk to in North Dakota yeah. that, are, that live on the reservation. Literally, Matt, you could you could show up unannounced at a friend's house, and a few hours later be sitting down to a steak dinner. That's how um, like the 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 hospitality yeah. that was shown was just amazing. So the, the, you know, I, overall, I have. Positive views of my time in North Dakota. Um, we went out there with the idea that we would only spend five years there. Yeah. Is that how long you spent there? No, we were there ten. Okay. Um, we I made an effort to get back here uh, after five. Yeah. Um, what time period was? Because when was this? Like? So seventy-seven. Okay. Um, I was there from seventy-seven to eighty-seven. Okay. Um, when. Uh, when I ended up coming back to New Hampshire was I, I, um, I took in a number of interviews all over New England and ended up, um, one of my interviews was here for Maple Avenue School right. Principal and another one in Lebanon. Um, mm -hmm. They were looking for a principal of two schools, School mm -hmm. Street and Sacred Heart. Um, as it turned out, uh, I got offered both jobs, but wow. being my first principalship in, in New England, I, yep. 
um, I wanted just one school. Mm -hmm. Um, so I took the job at Maple Avenue and... Um, you were there for a long time, right? 11 years. 11 years. Uh, we still live on Maple Avenue. And yep. um, um, ultimately, I, I, I decided that um, I, I was being like, almost like I was 24-7. It's kind of like your situation. Yeah, man. <laughs> I lived just down the street from the school. Right. So it was very easy to pop in. Exactly. At all hours. So yeah. I felt like... Um, for my own sanity, I needed to take another principal job, so I ended up working in Kearsarge for six years. Okay, that's a good school district from what I understand. Yeah. And then um, a former superintendent from Kearsarge ended up as being the superintendent in Lebanon. Yeah. And he enticed me to come to Lebanon and become principal of School Street and Sacred Heart. Okay. So it was like my career had and so, kind of taken full circle. So you were at Maple Avenue, and then you years. went to Kearsarge, Six years. and then you went to Lebanon. 11 years. 11 yeah. years. So that brings us to? Like like five years ago, I decided, uh, I was 60 years old, I yeah. decided to retire, and uh, yeah. I did, uh, I, with the full intention that I was gonna continue to keep working, I'm not just, I, I don't have many hobbies, I'm not like right. a golfer. Right. Um, so I knew that I was gonna do something, so I worked with a young man, um, who was uh, autistic but was living in his own yeah. house in Norwich. Mm -hmm. I did that for a couple of years, mm -hmm. uh, working 24-hour stints. They, yeah. liked, they liked him to go hiking and so forth. So, yeah, it's like, a, uh, like what I do, like respite and yeah. stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, this family uh, has it set up so this young man is living in his own house. Mm -hmm. um, just an ideal situation. And, yeah. and I would work 24 hours, take him hiking. Um, they wanted him to do physical activity. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it kind of got me into thinking that um, <clears throat> that I kind of missed my boat in my career, and yeah. I really enjoyed the special ed, and I enjoyed uh, working with young people. Mm -hmm. um, my wife Sue had worked with Kelly's program, the Life Skills program. I didn't realize that she worked in that, in that program. Yeah, so she was at um, when the when the program was at the Tech. Okay. Um, Sue, my wife Sue was the nurse, and um, she just. You know, she said Kelly really makes it feel like a family. She does. And um, so I, right away I thought, like from January, I said, if I, if I like this, um, you know, if I don't like think about uh -huh. what kind of a day I'm having, you know, um, every day I come home, um, I, I just feel like I've, I've helped. And, and yeah, it feels good, life. right? Yeah. Some days are rough, but it. Right. But everybody seems like they're. Everybody pulls together. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I don't want to, I, I really think that, I've said this a lot, that I feel like the, the young people that we're working with are generally more respectful than the general student population. Oh, I, I, I would agree because yeah. I work with the, with the general student yeah. pop, <laughs> population being a football coach. Yeah. And um, I would agree with that statement. Yeah. Um, so I just want to, um, talk to me about what it's like being a school principal, because I'm, I'm I'm a little interested in like just the dynamics of being what it's like to be a principal at a school and all the responsibilities and how stressful it is. And yeah. can you can you elaborate about that? For well, me? I um, you know I started my career in North Dakota. I was six years, uh, four years as a principal there. When I came here, I had a little bit of experience under my belt, but I really felt like you know having my own school. Um, Maple Avenue was an ideal situation. I felt like um, I, I had a really good student population, good, good, um, good relationship with parents there. Yeah. Um, the um, the challenges of it is, is it just becomes uh, it can become like a twenty four seven kind of situation. Yeah, you right? never you never get right. You know, when I when I started my career, like email was just starting to come on. You know, yeah. And then once, you know, you had that whole tech element, you felt like you were never leaving it behind. Yeah. Um, so I, the way that, I, the way I eventually—that's tough on someone's mental health. Yeah. yeah. Well, the way I dealt with it eventually, it took me a while to come to this, but I, I just said, like, once the kids are here, I am not going to be dealing with. I'm not going to be on the computer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you think about that challenge, but I wanted to be one that knew every child that walked through the door yeah. in the morning. I tried to get around to the school, the beginning of the day, say hi to everybody, mm -hmm. greet teachers, greet staff, greet students as they're coming in the door. 
um, and really be like a visible presence. So I, it was it, it meant that like really from the hours 8:30 to 2:30, say it would be I would be like in the classroom, uh, just being wow. in the cafeteria. Um, but you know, you still have the responsibility of responding to email. So it, absolutely, like, in calls and right. so it'd be like okay, say between 6:30 in the morning and 8:30. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then again in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then, what I would try to do was shut the, shut it out once I got home for dinner time with my kids. Yeah. Um, and then, living in Claremont, I was one of the principals that was at almost every school board meeting. Yeah. Uh, one of the kind of the disadvantages of living in town is that some of the the other administrators, you know, traveled outside of town. Right. They wouldn't come back for an evening meeting, but. I would be at a school board meeting. Right. Um, I'd say overall, the um, my biggest issues were not student related and, and being a. It's usually the way it is, right? It's dealing with the adults, yeah. you know, whether it be uh, staff or parents. Uh, no. But um, overall, it, w- it was a very rewarding career. I yeah. had at at certain points, I had I thought about whether I wanted to be an assistant superintendent or be a business manager. And ultimately, I just, I really felt like I needed the contact with kids yep. every day. And yeah. Even though, you know, you hear superintendents say, well, I know the kids and I get in schools, but mm, how do, many times can you count on the times that you see a superintendent? He's not, yeah. I mean, and it's not really his fault. It's just right. the way that, the, the, it's not the job. The job right. of the superintendent is to, you know, basically try to tether that line between the taxpayers and the district and the staff almost, you know what I mean? Yeah. So then the, uh, the other thing is I always remembered that the last three letters of the, the, uh, the word principal are pal. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I wanted like, to be a pal to kids, but I wanted to be somebody that they would look at the principal's position as being somebody that they wouldn't be fearful of. You yeah. know, like when you were growing up, um, and, you know, my, my relationships with principals was always like the, you know, the authority figure and that yeah. kind of thing. But I wanted... You're supposed to, they're, they're, like, they're supposed to be fear. Like, right. Yeah. yeah we, my high school principal or the assistant principal. And I'm sure in your time it's much different than yeah, it, they had it like, is now. Uh, like he had a great big keychain and like, okay, when you hear him coming down the hall, you know, you're yeah. scrambling around. Right. Well, I try to do things like eat lunch with kids that, when they have their birthday, you know, just do yeah, something a little like that. So they, I felt like th- that would be something that they would remember, you know, mm-hmm. maybe um, give a pencil or something, yeah. you know, like, you know, but then ask them about, you know, what, what they had plans for their mm-hmm. birthday and that kind of thing. So that was what, um, what, what I really take away from my, my years as a principal. Nice. That's a, that was, that was nice. Um, we have an election in two days. Is this the most important election of your lifetime? You know, I said that. Uh, I said that four years ago. Yeah, I know. And now it's like, I really do think that um, this country has been ill-served by Trump. You know, I, I, um, I was a never Trumper, man. I don't think I told you this, but really, from the first time I heard when 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 Trump said criminals that, and rapists. Well, when he said McCain is not a hero. Yeah. At that point, I said. He's not going to get elected. Yeah. I thought there's no way the veterans are going to you know put up with that. Yeah. So that goes to you know that goes back into you know I don't know March or April before he got elected. So, and it's not to say that I didn't agree with some of Trump's positions. You know I felt like like um, just for an example I think he you know he he was critical of the Iraq war yes he you was know, some some something that I didn't support I didn't so I, w- I wouldn't have supported it either yeah. I mean I was really young then but I'm, yeah. a, his, I'm a history buff so I know the yeah. circumstances yeah. and I would there's no way I would right. have supported that so the other thing is, you know that I supported Trump on is I feel like um, he doesn't want us to be involved in um, endless wars around the world like yeah. and I think the time for America to be like the uh, uh, the policeman of the world that is that that's gone yeah absolutely uh, 
But, and but, from but, what I understand, like you're right, Trump doesn't want to do that. I don't right, think. Right. But I don't. But I wasn't one that was just wanting to just uh, <coughs> tear up NATO. Yeah. You know, and just, right. You know, because I think some those those alliances are still important. Of course. Um, I think our, sta our standing in the world now is way worse than it was four years ago. There's no question, and I think that um, if uh, I mean, you can tell that the rest of the world is just looking at what we're going to do. Yeah, and they really can see what jeopardy we're going to be in if he gets elected. Um, you know, I, I I'm really hopeful. Um, I'm I'm extremely anxious. I'm me too. I'm. You know. I'm not. I'm going to be extremely. Like I don't care. I mean, I know I saw a poll today that had Biden up ten points, but I, you know, I don't care. I'm still going to be anxious until I know that he's um, not going to be the president anymore. I think one of the biggest things is the is the culture war that Trump like is really in, not not started but embodied. He's really like, right. you know, um, the things he says and the, the, his actions that he, that he does and. Um, you know, and things about like denying science and, you know, calling doctors idiots and, um, you know, and, and he does things that for me violate my moral compass. Like, you know, tr he, he treats women like second class citizens. Right. He treats, he, 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 um, the things he says, like he, and I think he's a racist, like, because of, you can just look at all the comments, right. all the comments that he said. And he's also... He's detrimental in a lot of other issues like healthcare and um, edu and education and um, stuff like that and income and wealth inequality and you know he he really doesn't have a plan to solve any of those problems. Right. No, he really hasn't put any kind of plan about what his next four years are no. going to look like. Uh, he's surrounded himself more and more with people that are cronies that are just, yeah. you know in in complete agreement with him. My biggest concern is that it's not conclusive on election night, and then he's going to declare victory. Well, I saw a thing today that said he's going to. He right. said, he said, yeah, if it looks like that I'm ahead, even though it's not called, I'm going to say I won. Right. Which, that's why, that's what I mean. And the, the, why I think this is the most important election is because we are literally choosing, you know, it's not Biden versus Trump. We are literally choosing, in my view, between an authoritarian government and a democracy. That's what this election is about. I, I would agree with that. So I'm hoping that an ideal scenario would be um, that, that Biden wins the, um, he, he wins by more than 10 million votes. Yeah. And that he wins the Electoral College by a hundred. I hope. You know. um, I think it's going to take. It almost that. needs to be that. It really needs to be, and, and and I'm hoping that the you know the level of um, early voting has been unprecedented. As right. you know, it's I think it's which uh, is good news for Democrats. Yeah, we you know we hope it is, and um, mm. I'm just hoping that there's not um, you know more intimidation. You saw maybe you saw the newsreel of uh, a Biden bus that was down. In I Texas. saw that. Um, and it was being followed. Now Trump's take on that is, uh, I heard him at a rally, he was saying that, that those Trump supporters were just protecting that, that bus. Come on. But, you know, that's just what? <laughs> played BS. You know? Yeah, it is. You know? and, uh, but his, his supporters, they just seem like they eat it up. Um, yeah, 33% of the country is gonna vote for this guy. Right. Bottom, no matter what he says, no matter what he does, no matter if he threatens to take away your Medicare right. and Social Security, and right. he did, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I've, just, right. I've come to terms with that over the last couple of years, and you're not gonna change their minds either. Right, no, it's, uh, I, I have seen a little bit of, um, among some of my conservative friends, um, yeah. an agreement, but, um, I mean, even last night I had a couple of people say that, you know, when Trump wins, um, you know, the market's going to rebound, you know, so. Um, um, which, so have you always had um, kind of like liberal progressive views or have you, or did you, because I know a lot of people who started as conservatives in their life and then changed over time. Yeah. Would you, what would you say? Well, I, I'd, I'd have to say that if, um, in my younger days, I leaned more libertarian. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, I'd done quite a bit of reading. Um, I'm 
I'm, I was very well versed in Ayn Rand and the whole, you know, capitalism. Yeah. Um, what What has really changed for me, partly being close, you know, being semi-retired, if you will, is that I I could just see how much um, wealth in, in, inequality there is. You know, that's what um, resonated when, you know, when I would hear Bernie Sanders, and yeah. it just. Um, the top, when he talks about well, income and wealth inequality, and he says, you know, the top one percent owns more wealth right. than the bottom ninety-two percent. Like you really got to put that. In. The top one tenth of one percent right. own more wealth than the bottom ninety, and three people own more wealth than um, the than the bottom half of America. Like, yeah, no, to me, that's not functioning. Right. So that really bothers me, and the fact that, you know. Um, so many people, I mean, my son has a decent job. He works as facilities manager for Sunapee School District. Yeah. Um, but his wife has to work two jobs. Right. You know, and they live in a small house in Newport, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, um, uh, just a starter home. And they got two mm -hmm. kids. Um, and, you know, they make a decent amount of money, but they're, they're it's still It's still hard. so hard. Right. Just so to that is what, you know, um, I, I, that's what... Um, really has pulled me to a more liberal position, and um, you know, I, I usually I, I voted for Republicans. Um, yeah. The um, usually I would look at the person. Of and, course. And make that decision. Of course. Uh, but there's such a stark difference now. You know what I mean between you know because like I feel like you know I I don't think the government can solve every problem, but I think it can help a lot. Yeah. You know and. You know, it almost is the conservative view is that, oh my, the government's not, not it's not responsible for anything. Right. You know, it's not responsible for any type of hardship. It's not responsible for income and wealth inequality. It's not responsible to help the environment. Whereas, you know, the on the left, it's like, yeah, it, it, you know, it is responsible. The government is responsible to, you know, try and fix some of those things. You know, I, um, I thought that um, the other thing that is being spouted is that uh, Biden and uh, Harris are socialists and to me that's no. just like a that's like a boogeyman you know even, of course even even Bernie Sanders who was he, he he's a self-described democratic, democratic socialist, socialist which is still not the same thing right, right. He, he's not calling for no. government to take over the means of production no you know he um, so I did a my first podcast was about um, what democratic socialism is and basically the way I described it was that there are different, different, like, there are specific sectors in your society that can't be run like a business. Like, the, most of it can be, but when you look at healthcare and education and prisons and stuff like that, it can't be run like a business. It needs to be run, like, to meet the needs of the people. And, um, and you know, Bernie Sanders, I think, honestly, the, his detriment was the socialist word, and that, right. that was honestly, and... You're talking about a guy who's been saying the same things for 40 years, and I mean, I, you know, I was a big Bernie supporter, right. um, and but he he never once said he wants you to give up all your money to the institution, and he's gonna. All he said is, you know, your government should work for the people, and right. people should have health care, and people should have a decent paying job, you know, and if yeah. you. One of the things he says a lot is, you know, if you work 40 hours a week, you shouldn't, you know, struggle to get by. You know, that's that's how I would describe, describe democratic socialism. Well, really, and that was the situation when my father, and, you know, we, in the family that I grew up in, three boys and a girl, and my father um, was the sole breadwinner. Yeah. Um, I mean, we weren't rich by any means. <laughs> I remember mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, his weekly take-home pay was like $100, yeah. and we only went out to eat like very occasionally, yeah. you know that kind of thing. But he was still. My mother didn't didn't have to work, and uh, and the whole time you can't do that now. No, you can't do that. You know, the whole time I was growing up, I'd come home, my mother would say, "Change out of your school clothes, put on your jeans." You know, yeah. Um, she was there, but um, that's almost impossible today. It, when people can't people can't get by with two parents working or, you know it, it just doesn't because wages have stayed so low for so long and that's where you know the income it, like I, I think about this example think about you know I know people get frustrated with paying taxes but think about if you know the, the median income was $60,000 and not 30000 like people wouldn't be so uptight about paying taxes right. especially and I, another thing I think is really asinine is that 
you know, the fact that corporations pay virtually nothing and billionaires get special favors, you know. Right. Everybody talks about, you know, oh my, like, Bernie Sanders has these crazy plans, you know, he wants free college and healthcare for all, how do we pay for it? Well, you can pay for it by making corporations pay taxes and making, and having a marginal tax rate, which we've had in this country before, and, right. you know, so, like, for me, you know, that's where that that money comes from, and I just think it's, your society will be better off. Your people will be healthier. Um, I think income and wealth inequality also affects, you know, when people are um, stressed out, they do things like drugs and they revert to domestic yeah. violence. And a lot of that comes from not having money to put food on the table. Yeah. You know, I think the, um, I think Biden truly understands that at his core, you know, that he, um, he understands that middle, the middle class is what made America great. Yeah. You know, and the, the middle class has been hurt. In yeah, the, for a long time. Probably the last 20 years, you know. Yeah. Um, the, um, one of the things that I'm concerned about, Matt, is that um, some of the, the, the calls that are going out to motivate Trump supporters um, centers around Biden's age. And his. And the fact that his running mate is a black woman. So I almost see an, like an undercurrent of racism because even, you know, I've had people say, well, what happens if Biden buy, dies? And then, and then Kamala Harris, Harris is president. Harris is president. You know, she's a socialist. And, you know, that whole... But that, she's that, not. That whole, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I think underlying it is some racism, which we knew was the case with Obama. Right, you of know? course. Um, the, the, the thing that sustained me when Hillary was running um, against Trump was that I felt like a country that elected Obama twice would, surely would not make the mistake of, of voting for Donald Trump. So, and that's, that's what's sustaining me now yeah. is, what, is that a country that elected somebody like Obama twice, mm. a genuinely, I think... With the popular vote right, and the... Right. Yeah. History is going to treat Obama very kindly. Absolutely. He, well, um, I don't think that, that a country could reverse course and elect somebody like Trump. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I think well, that I mean, we're going to. In history, we do zig and zag, and, but, but this, we're talking about a zig and a zag yeah, here. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, and I'm like really, I just am like cautiously optimistic that this is going to work out. I just, I can't fathom, like you said the other day. I don't know what's, what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, I've kidded with people about, uh, you know, what are we going to do? Yeah. What are, I mean, ultimately, what I, my, my coping mechanism probably will be to uh, really, like, limit my social media and also yeah. television viewing. I'd probably, I would probably, like, listen to NPR, like, for a half hour. And that's days, it. You know, just try to just... Yeah, I'd probably do something similar. I'm trying, like... I'm really hoping to just get past Tuesday, and I'm, we were not even. I was listening to the news earlier today. We might even. There's a good chance we won't even know on Tuesday, but I think we'll have a pretty good idea. Um, and um, you know, one of the one of the things like with let's talk about Hillary Clinton for a second. I was not like all pumped about voting for her. I mean, I was pumped to vote for a woman because I think we need a woman president. But she, you know, she. She, I, she did, you know, take a lot of money from big banks, and she has, you know, lied a lot, and she kind of a war hawk. Mm. However, you can't deny that how much better off we would be with, like, with the coronavirus pandemic had Hillary Clinton been president. Mm. Like, it's, you know, um, he, she wouldn't have ignored it for two months and tried, you know, and disbanded the pandemic response team and, right. you know, and stuff like that. Like, I always maintained the idea that I wasn't a huge fan of Hillary Clinton, didn't really like her, but it wasn't about whether I liked her. Like, you know, right. same thing, same thing with Biden. Like, um, I'm, you know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she said the other day, she said, voting for Joe, Joe Biden is not about whether you like him. Like, I don't care if you don't like him. Like, right. you, you have to, you know, those issues of um, educa education and healthcare. And, you know, I, I think the pandemic personally, was one of Trump's biggest failures, if not his biggest failure, because he's yeah. really failed with the pandemic. I agree, and I, I agree with what you said about Hillary. I um, I voted for her, um, not you know out of uh, 
you know anything that you'd describe as love you know I, no. I, I but I definitely had you know I understood where some of my female classmates were coming from of course you know, that they they just really felt like it was her time she certainly had baggage I mean yeah you know, but, you know and I don't but, think Biden has as much baggage as she I don't think like we, we've talked about this before I don't think Biden is as as hated as Hillary is right. Yeah, and, and you know, he, they've been trying to generate all this stuff about Hunter Biden in the last couple of days, just like they did, you know, with the, the emails with Hillary. Yeah. And it's not, it doesn't seem to be taking hold. So, no. Um, it's a different world uh, than right now than it was four years ago. But, you know, there's definitely uh, this fear factor um, about what some of Trump's supporters are going to do. You know, that's the unknown. Are, are they going to intimidate voters? You know, um, I've had people... Um, ask me, do you think there's going to be people showing up at the polls in Claremont with guns? I think you it know, could happen. You know, I, I don't know. There's a big Trump back in this town. There's a big Trump backing. Like yeah. he's got, it's, it's definitely there. Um, and, you know, I, I've had dreams about, you know, Trump losing and Trump supporters just shooting people in the streets. Like, is that out of the question? I don't yeah. think it is. <laughs> well, I know I think that the FBI and uh, law enforcement is concerned about that. Yeah. So, um, let's hope it doesn't happen. No, I mean... You know, I've, I've, I've often, whenever I get really down, I think about some of the people that I know in law enforcement mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I really, uh, that I really admire. You know, mm -hmm. um, one of my students at... at um, Maple was Brent Wilmont, who's now the chief in Newport. And yeah. His dad was the Yeah, I know. I, I, he, he worked at Claremont for a while, yeah, too, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. I think he pulled time. me over yeah. a couple times. Um, <laughs> He's so, a good, nice I mean, guy. You know, that, those kind of people that are like, I know I've had conversations with Brent. He's a real, he really thinks things through. And, that, yeah. you know, that's what. Um, that's what you need. Right. It gives me, uh, that gives me hope. Um, I just hope it all. Ultimately, it all works out for the best. Um, what do you? What is your uh, thoughts on uh, Black Lives Matter and systemic racism in in America? Well, I I, I definitely think there's no uh, no question that systemic racism is um, is with us. It's it's um, it's been with us, right? It's been with us, and it's uh, you see it as uh, I see it as almost like a carryover from. Um, you know, a hundred years ago, right. like the Civil War that never ended, before, right. basically, that's still going it, on. It just, because if you look at history, it just evolves, right? It just, right. we went from slavery to the Civil War to segregation, Jim Crow to, you know, what we have today, which it's better today, but we're not where we need to be right. as far as I'm concerned. I mean, even like, even, you can even see people trying to make excuses for, you know, George Floyd's yeah. situation. It's like, okay. Somebody like was on his neck yeah. for eight minutes. Eight minutes. Now you're gonna say that well he was a drug dealer or whatever you know. That, it doesn't matter. You know, that, <laughs> you know I, and what I keep saying that if and uh, would that would that have happened if he was white? Probably right, not. Right. <clears throat> and I say that a lot that if if it was your own white son that had come out of a drugstore mm -hmm. or whatever and um, was put down on the ground, you know. Think of the outcry that there would be. Yeah. If Supposedly, he was he he forged a, uh, a a check or something. That was what they they forged a check and used a. So he gets put on the ground and gets your knee shoved in your neck for eight minutes. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so Matt, when my first experience with with understanding that systemic racism comes back to an incident, I was involved in a doctoral program at UMass Lowell, and I had a black college professor, a woman. Um, and when O.J. Simpson was uh, acquitted, um, you remember there were uh, shots of black people that were just cheering you know, yeah. about that acquittal. And I, I remember we had um, like a really in-depth conversation with this black professor. Um, most of the students were white um, mm -hmm. in this college class. And we were just saying, we were just asking her, why, you know, how could they be cheering? You know, right. I mean, there was no question in in our minds that O.J. Simpson was guilty. Of course. And she said, she she said, you know, um, to understand why black people are are cheering, uh, she brought up her own son, who, um, you know, uh, a well-educated young black man, mm -hmm. who she said had been stopped repeatedly. You know pulled out of a car driving around mm -hmm. uh, downtown Lowell you know 
in, in Massachusetts. Um, and that was like a regular occurrence. And that, yeah. that really hit home to me that like, that was like a paradigm shift for me because I, couldn't, I just could not understand how a whole group of people could be cheering. Right. And really it was just a reaction. Not, but when not, you that, read not that they were saying that O.J. Simpson, you know, uh, was he's obviously not, not a good person right but right. that he wasn't guilty but it, in a way they felt like it was um when you've been they, they got their due basically right. you know? when you when you have a group of people that's been suppressed and beaten down for so long and you get a victory like that like i can totally understand why people were cheering about it right. was is oj simpson a good guy no right. did he did he kill that his uh his wife right right and i mean probably yes but um, I can, uh, at the flip side, I can certainly understand, especially in that time period where we were just coming out of things like segregation and we're still, um, and you know, our criminal justice system has proven to be racist. Like I've watched several documentaries and read a lot of many books about this and it's, it's pretty uh, clear, you know, we treat, we've treated one um, race uh, different than the other and we we assume just because you know he's a six foot two black male that you know he's gonna has a knife on him is gonna beat the hell out of somebody right. um i think it, it's also an issue of we're still segregated in our communities too like you go to big cities in america and all the poor black people are together in in one area and you know what i mean and yeah. and we they don't have resources, they don't have health care, they don't have educational opportunities, and they're just set up to fail. Yeah, and we, and Trump has capitalized on that. Yeah, well, that was my that, next that, point. I mean, the, to uh, me, I mean, the coronavirus is his biggest failure, but the racism is his worst right, issue. Right, and he denies it, but he, you know that he was, you know, he was the one that was challenging whether Obama was born in this country, yep. which is, the basis of that is racist. Yeah, because he was yeah. black. Right. And, you yeah. know, his name is Barack Obama. Right. Like, yeah, he makes a big deal even at his rallies of saying Barack Hussein Obama. Yeah, um, you know, um, and that's his base of support. Is yeah, um, yeah, disenfranchised white males that you know that that are worried that their their hierarchy in society that they've maintained is, is is essentially going away. But I mean, that hierarchy in society wasn't. It's not necessary or right. Right. Um, so, and, you know, you know, I can just think of so many different instances where Trump has said race, even before he was president, you know, he, 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 he denied people, um, he denied black people from staying at his hotels. You can, you can look back at that, you know. He started his campaign in 2015 by calling Mexicans criminals and rapists. Right. He, yeah, and his whole, I mean, even going back to his father, mm -hmm. they were, um, there were lawsuits brought against them for the way they were, uh, how they were renting out um, their apartments and that kind of thing. Yeah. So one of my, one of my concerns is that, um, even if Trump loses, we we haven't heard the end of him. You know, I'd like to think I agree. I th like to think that he's going to be, you know, not remembered in the ash bin of history. Oh, but, but he will be. Yeah, and we're going to be hearing the Trump name. I'm I'm afraid for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I agree. You know, that. Which sucks, but at Trump least here and there, and Vanka and Eric, and you know the whole. You know. Yeah, they're all they're all pretty terrible too, um, and they're all like. Um, I just, I feel like you're, you're probably right. He's not going to just go, just go away and it's, he's going to be loud and he might even start his own TV network for, you know, all we know where he can just say whatever he wants right. and lie. And I wouldn't even, I know he's an old man, but I wouldn't even rule out him running again in 2024. We'll yeah. see, but um, we'll get, cross that bridge when he comes to it. We have, he has to lose first. Um, I was listening to I was listening to Obama last night. He was making a speech in Florida, and he was talking about how won't it be nice to have a president? And this really stuck home. They won't it be nice to have a president that you don't have to worry about every single day? Right. You know that you won't hear about every single day. Yeah. You, won't it be nice to have a president that you know you, you look on your phone and makes you go, geez, you know. Bill, Bill Maher, I don't know if you know who he is. Yeah. He said one, he's like, this is the Trump brand. I look at my, I wake up in the morning, look at my phone with one eye, you know what I mean? Just to see. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, that's, that gives me hope. I think Americans are 
ready for normalcy. I just, I, yeah. I keep a journal and that was one of the things that I said this morning in my journal is that I just feel like we're ready for, like, we, we want things to be normal. Now I know it's abnormal times because of the coronavirus, but right. we still want like a sense of normalcy. And that's what Joe Biden is as far as I'm concerned. Right. And, uh, I don't think Joe Biden's going to want to dominate the news cycle no. every single day. No way. You know? I feel like Trump, Trump goes out of his... He wants to dominate. The, he, that's like his biggest goal every day. That was, Be you know, being rea a, reality, a reality TV president, we got... That's exactly what we got. Yeah, he, he is a reality that's TV. That's how he... Um, and the reason... His name, you know. It, um, I think it's going to be... Um, He's going to go down as being the most corrupt president in American history. I agree. Uh, once I don't think there's the any. Tr the truth is eventually going to come out, Matt. You know that it, history yeah. proves that it always comes out. Always. You know, um, and we're going, to, we're going to find out that there was like some deep shit going on with uh, with Russia and yeah. um, and, and that he hasn't paid taxes in right. thirty years or has paid small amounts of right. taxes. Because right. uh, you know that if if his if those tax forms showed him in a good light he would be he would be all over it he would have released them years ago just like if his college transcript showed yeah. him in a good light because you know that's the kind of person he is right if anything that's going to show him in a good light absolutely release that and yeah. the fact that he hasn't they're under audit they've been under audit for yeah. five years yeah. man well, like <laughs> 750 dollars was not a filing fee you know <laughs> you know that's i prepaid millions of dollars he said it's like ridiculous it's, yeah um Ultimately, I just think that there's more good people and bad people, and uh, I'm hoping yeah. that. I mean, we have had. In, in I mean, past. three more, three million more people did vote for Hillary Clinton. Right. We, we always have to remember, right. put that in perspective, because I mean, I don't know how you feel about the electoral college, but I feel like it really like brings this election down to like like four or five states. You know what I mean? And right. a person in Wyoming has three times the power that a person in California or New York does. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know, and I don't know how um, how big a haul it would be to try and get rid of the electoral college. It would be I extremely think, difficult. Yeah, I think it's time to really look at that. Yeah, um, and I think it's time to look at the whole judiciary, and I'm hopeful that if uh, well, that's another Biden, reason if Biden gets that's uh, another reason why we're going to be stuck with even after he's president. Trump is. You want to talk about packing the courts like he's packed the courts as president and from from the supreme court all the way down he's he's i don't even want to know the number because i know it will make me so mad of how many judges how many federal judges he's appointed and i just read yesterday that um mcconnell plans to keep appointing judges even after the election even if of course even if trump loses yeah of course he will they're going to still he has he has no shame right until January 20th. I'm sure they will. What what we just saw, especially if they could see if they lose the Senate too, they're going to do everything they can in those two months to get what they want. Um, you know, especially with the whole, let's talk about the whole Supreme Court situation for a second because we just got um, Amy Coney Barrett yeah. confirmed on the Supreme Court and replace of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is pretty wild. And um, record, that was so dirty. Time, in record time. It was so dirty, especially after, you know, Obama appointed or, uh, Mayor Garland and he and they they used the junction that, oh, we can't do it right now because it's an election year. And it was 200 days out then. Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies before a month before an election and they get their pick in a week before an election. How can you how can you defend that? Right. <laughs> right. And, that, you know, I think the. Uh, one of the, the the big points in that hearing was understanding uh, from the senator from uh, Rhode Island talking about the amount of money that has been funneled in, dark money that's been funded into the judiciary and um, yeah. how these decisions are made. You know, $250 million. Well, what does somebody want for that $250 million? Right. You know, these big... Um, Titans of industry, they want something. Of course, you know they want deregulation. Mm -hmm. um, they want to be able to do. I could see Amy Comey uh, Barrett was just. Uh, you could just see that the wheels were spinning. I, I almost think that uh, she didn't know that. You know, um, uh, I didn't know that, and I, I think that was like a, one of the really big takeaways from this that uh, that the judici judiciary is uh, is tainted. Yeah. In the same way that. Uh, our Senate is, or, or, you know, 
the, the influence of big money, I think, is one of the things that I'd like to see come out of um, the Senate possibly flipping. Because yeah. money has made such well, a Well, if you have people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders in charge of stuff in the Senate, which I think they, they will be if the Democrats get the Senate, that will be talked about right. and addressed. Right. right. And Matt, you know, we have to admit that the money has been a factor affecting both Democrats and Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you said, you know, that was one of the raps on Hillary. Yeah. Well, um, there's a lot of Democrats that have taken right. a lot of money. Right. And uh, they might be taking it from different sources, but it's still affected. Uh, that absolutely 100%. The, I would say the roots are deeper in the Republican Party. Right. But they're definitely in the Democratic Party, too. Because there is, there is, and you saw this in the primary, there is a corporate Democrat wing and then there's a progressive wing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and I mean, you can't deny Biden came. He was him and Bernie Sanders. He was the, right. the corporate right. choice. Um, that being said, there is a there, right, especially right now. I don't think it's been so much like this in, throughout all history. But right now, there is a big difference between the two parties. You know, there is, you know, um, Democrats aren't in business of trying to throw people off their health care. Democrats aren't in business of trying to. Um, discriminate against LGBTQ people. And, and when it comes to social issues, certainly there's yeah. a big difference between the two parties. But the corporate um, power definitely has roots of the Democrats, too. There's no doubt about that. Well, I just had a conversation the other day, Matt, with my 92-year-old my mother yeah. who voted. Um, and she came from a family who her father would pretty much check the box at the top that you could just vote straight Republican. Mm. And I said, I didn't know that uh, Grandpa Joe, well, I, I knew my grandfather was more Republican, but when my mother said, but you can't compare Donald Trump to somebody like Dwight Eisenhower. No, okay? of course it's not. It's like no comparison. Or even, I disagree even with- Ronald Reagan, you know, it's yeah. just like there's no- um, I mean, I disagree with a lot of, because I've studied about Ronald Reagan, and I disagree with a lot of like his economic policies and you know the mass incarceration and stuff, but he wasn't a terrible person like right. Trump is, right. Right. you know? Um, and I mean, it was under Ronald Reagan where, you know, when Dwight Eisenhower was, we put this into perspective, when Dwight Eisenhower was president, we had a marginal tax rate of people over, who made over $10 million of 90%. We now it's like 30 or something right. like that. And it's gotten lower since it's like 25 since Trump right. took office with his tax cuts. He, he moved it down. Bernie Sanders only wanted it to be 70. Right. So, you know, does that make Eisenhower a socialist? Like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I, mean, I, I think uh, I'm not positive about this, Matt, but I think Reagan had uh, a much more tolerant view of immigrants because he saw, yeah. didn't he see? Uh, that he saw the, the United States of America as being this shiny beacon on the yeah. hill for people that were, um, you know, that wanted to come here. Uh, one of the best things I've read this, uh, this past year was a book that talked about this, um, these people that were trying to escape from these, uh, you know, the, the drug cartels in South America. Um, and what they would have to go through coming through these countries, you know, the um, the trials and tribulations and rape and, all, all, you know, just all kinds of things to, to, to still be able to come here. And really, the most disturbing thing is what is fueling that, those drug cartels, is America's insatiable um, desire for more drugs. Yeah. So it's like, and, and here we're going to say no that they, you know, we don't want them. Yeah. You know, it just, uh, it's the... The irony is, uh, you know, it doesn't escape me. I, th I think um, another one, and I just want to get this thought out before I forget. Um, another thing that's been terrible about the Trump presidency is he really almost the destruction of our institutions. You know what I mean? Like he puts an oil lobbyist in charge of the EPA. Right. He puts Betsy DeVos in charge of the sec. It's almost like the departments that... Um, he points people to are there to destroy that that institution. You know what I mean? Right. And there's that. I agree with that exactly. Yeah. And it's you know, Joe Biden's not president. He's not going to have an oil lobbyist in charge of the EPA. Yeah. And he'll have a he'll have a person who's worked in education for their entire life be the education secretary. Right. And then the other part of that Matt is he has systematically 
tried to undo every single thing that Obama did. Yep. Okay, and it's almost like he he told his people, "Bring me whatever Obama did. I'm going to sign an executive order undoing that." Yeah. You know, whether it's you know climate change, environmental it, regulation, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's done done whatever he could to uh, just undo everything. Um, and he's he's done a lot in four done, years. Right, and that's. Um, you know, some of the disturbing things that I'm reading is that it's going to take um, a lot to turn that around. It you know, is. It's not like Biden's just going to be able to, oh, of course not. to turn on a light switch and everything's going to go back to normal. As far as I'm concerned, all, all Biden is, is uh, he's a guy to help us heal from this. He's not going to be able to, he's no way in hell he's going to be able to fix everything that's gone down over the last four years. It's just not fair to him to expect that. Right. But um, he's going to help try to help us heal and get out of this, and that's pretty much all he is as far as I'm concerned. And a return to normalcy, or return to <coughs> having a president like we talked about before that doesn't dominate the news every day and trust people like Dr. Fauci and thing, things like, like that. Um, but you're right. It, we're going to be feeling the effects of... The, tr the, the Trump presidency, just four years of it for a long time, which is why it makes me even more scared if he gets eight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's hope that um, he, as part of the healing, he doesn't uh, decide to pardon Trump because I don't think Trump deserves to be pardoned. No, I don't think he will either. <laughs> yeah. I hope you're right. I just hope he doesn't say, well, I just want to, you know, put this all behind me because I think there, these lawsuits that are have been, you know, going on in for the Manhattan district office. I think those things should all go, you know, keep going. Yep. And uh, absolutely. Hopefully, par you know, Trump doesn't pardon himself. Well, that's another thing. Um, what will if say Trump loses, and we'll just talk about the a lame duck Trump. Pre he's going to pardon everybody he can in those two months. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, who else would he? I mean, he's going to be. You think he's? You think he's been unhinged the last four years? Think about what he's going to be for two months as a lame duck president. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah, and I don't. I know there's been some thought that he's just going to get on his plane and uh, head down to Mar-a-Lago. I don't think so. I, I doubt it. It's, <laughs> I don't think that. Um, I think it's going to be wild. Yeah, unless it's just um, a phenomenal blowout, which yeah. again, even then, though, I think he'll still. Yeah, he's still going to cause damage. But to uh, for him to be able to de declare victory in yeah. the light of you know a, yeah. a lot of Senate races turning, and, yeah. you know losing by ten million. Um, I think another thing that bothers me about Trump a lot is his love for for dictators around the world. He said yeah. he said, and this is is not this is a scary thing to me. You know when he talks about Kim Jong Un, a guy who murders people who disagrees with him, and says that we fall in love, and there's a and how he won't um, call Putin out on anything, even when soldiers are getting bounties to be killed by Russia, and he still won't stand up right. to him. Right. His no, authoritarian he, tendencies are right. really scary. Right, he's like an autocrat at heart. You know, he likes the fact that uh, the news media fawns over Putin, and that's what he would like to see our news media do. With yeah. Him, you know? Yeah. Um, that's been, I that's think, why he trashes CNN and MSNBC yeah. and anybody who calls them out, because, you know, oh, it's fake news because right. they're not telling you good things about me. Right, and that's, I think, also another, um, you know, a bad thing that's happened is that uh, a lot of people, uh, because Trump has kept saying, um, you know, don't trust the mainstream media. You have people that are saying, you know, the pandemic is not real. You know, that really 250,000 people, you know, they haven't been killed. You know, that that's all, you know. It's fake news, made, it's not real. News. That, you know, that's really bothersome because then. Of course. You have people uh, that. How we, many lives does that cost us? People that we even know, Matt, that are saying, you know, that are resisting wearing masks even mm -hmm. today, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, wearing a mask is not a hard thing to do. Right. We do it all day long. It is an annoying, sure, but like, just put on a mask right now. That's what we need to do. We had, we had, the last two days, we've had the highest number of coronavirus cases we've had since it started. Yeah. So um, this isn't going just going to disappear no matter what right. Trump says, because he's been saying that since it started. Oh, it's just going to disappear. It's going to go away. Don't worry. But. Um, um, he didn't tell us about it. He knew how serious he was when he first heard about it. He didn't want to tell anybody because he didn't want to panic anybody. Like, that's not what a president does. Right. So, Matt, I put on Facebook a couple of days ago about South Korea, their numbers. They've had 500 people die of COVID. 
and, and COVID hit that country the same time it did the U.S. Yeah. Um, they're about one-sixth the population of the United States. Yep. But if, if we had the same number of deaths proportionally as South Korea, we would be dealing with, with 3,000 deaths. Not uh, 220,000. Right. Um, and, and I get people responding to me saying, well, you know, we're not South Korea. Yeah, or they're challenging, you know, how can you believe South Korea? Well, South Korea is a democracy. It yep. might not be perfect. No. Um, I know that they've been wearing masks there for years because my sister was stationed in, uh, in the army in South Korea. Yeah, they always wear masks it's there. Cu it's cultural. Part of it is um, the air quality for years has not been really good there. I yeah. There's, uh, That's the high, pollution. High industri industrial. But they also have respect for each other and they wear masks if they have like a cold coming on, mm -hmm. sniffles or whatever, uh, and, and that's a good thing. It yeah. is a good thing. And I'm not saying um, that we have to be like South Korea. No, not at all. Uh, I'm just saying, look, well, right now, just look at the, at the numbers and say, well, if they have only had 500 deaths, and we could have possibly had only 3,000. Yeah, what's the difference? Right. The difference uh, is, is that people don't think it's real here. Right. <laughs> and, so the, that fully comes down on the president, as far as I, I'm concerned. I, I don't think yet he can um, evade responsibility. In fact, in fact, uh, you know, you listen to some of these interviews that he had with Bob Woodward. He, he knew how serious it was. They yeah. wanted to minimize it because he knew that um, there was an election. Right. It would have. He didn't want that to be uh, the basis of his election. You know. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that. Our economic recovery is going to result is going to be a result of us getting COVID under control, and I yep. and I think that I'm not worried about my 401k because I think if Biden is elected, um, he's going to be committed to having people around him that are going to try to get this COVID situation under control. I think it's going to be his number one focus when he becomes president. If he becomes president, it will be COVID-19, as it should be right now. Like, yeah. um, you know. So one more thing that I want, because I usually like to keep these around an hour. Okay. Um, um, un universal health care, do you for it? I am. I think, um, am I right in this, Matt, that every other... Uh, every other developed country has universal. Every other developed country has. Um, I think that there's, there's a place for private insurance. Yeah. Um, and you know that um, that's going to be the big bugaboo. And well, that's why again, you know, the Bernie Biden right. choice. You know, Bernie. Well, my my issue with the because the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical industry have so much power in our current our current infrastructure. You know what I mean? They can they can charge anybody anything they want for medicine. They can charge you anything they want for any type of care. I, you know, and um, even when people have health insurance, they're still getting high deductibles and co-payments. Um, so my problem with, of course, a public option Biden's plan would still be way better than what we have now. Right. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't but that infrastructure will still be there though. And that's why I was for Bernie's plan because it's like, you know, Canada's system, which I know has, you're going to have problems no matter what system you have, but um, it allows your government to say, no, you're not allowed to charge people outrageous prices for prescription drugs. And no, you know, this person gets care without going bankrupt or into debt. You know, I never really understood about the, um, now I just qualified for Medicare at 65, so I, I am on Medicare. Yeah. Um, now we have open enrollment for part B part, which covers like your doctors. Well, mm -hmm. I've been getting like calls every day, like six calls, yeah. all kinds of emails. So even with Medicare, which I think is a good thing. Of know, course. Uh, Medicare for all, um, there's still a place for private insurance mm -hmm. because it, Medicare doesn't cover everything. Sure. So um, I've never quite understood that, you know, people say, well, if you say Medicare for all, you, you're just gonna be, you know, the the um, private insurance company is going to be out of business. I mean, that just... It's going to be changed, right. but it's gonna, it'll be different, right. but they're not going to be able to pocket the money that they do now, which is, I mean, the biggest problem with our healthcare system as far as I'm concerned, and it's why we get the outcomes that we get. Right. Um, you know, and I think too, Matt, you know, um, it used to be if you were employed by, uh, by SAU6, like the insurance, the insurance that you had was like A1. Like, yeah. you know, you never had co-pays, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Um, that's definitely not the case today. No, <laughs> you know, no. I mean, I have, even though I have Medicare, I, I'm covered um, by SAU6 through my wife. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we have, we have stuff that we have to pay for out of yeah. pocket, you know. If, yeah, uh, and I do. I'm covered. I'm on one of the reasons I got married when I, when I did was because, well, I was covered under my parents' insurance until I turned 26 because of Obamacare. And then I turned 26, and Mimi and I got married when we did because I wouldn't have health insurance anymore, essentially. So um, I'm on her health insurance. I mean, of course, I could have gotten it through my, but like, yeah, that was one of the reasons we we got married. So the health health our current healthcare system is causing people to, well, we would have gotten married, period, but maybe not when we did and rushed as we did. Right. I mean. We had an amazing wedding, and it wasn't a great. It was a great day, so I'm not like. But I'm just saying it affected our decision making. Right. You know what? I, I just to kind of come full circle here, Matt. Um, when uh, our first child was born in North Dakota, we didn't have health insurance at the time. Uh, I was uh, the yeah. district that I was working at didn't pay health insurance. But here's the difference. My my son, uh, who was 42 years old, the hospital he was born in. Um, a Catholic affiliated hospital yeah. it cost eight hundred dollars for all of his prenatal care and the birth. Okay, and the doctor was two hundred, so a total of a thousand dollars. And when it came time to pay for that, I worked out a deal where I paid that hospital sixteen dollars and seventy five cents a month until it was, and they accepted that. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. like nowadays, you know, that almost seems like. Like horse and buggy time. Yeah, I know. Eight, you know, eight hundred dollars for all yeah. the prenatal visits. And well, every, I mean, I'm, that would be like. You know. I've talked to people who have experiences with other people when they when they come here. Yeah. And they they they're like, what you pay for healthcare? You know what I mean? It's almost like because in their society, in their communities, and there's right. it's like everybody gets has healthcare, right. and they come here and they're like, what do you mean you? You pay for healthcare. What, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, like so. They, they I've talked to um, uh, like we have a, um, a family. We have a f I have friends that live in Germany through um, some other. He was an exchange student with uh, the, with one of my friends, and he comes and visits. And his dad came and visit, and he's like, we talked to them about it, and he was like so nonchalant. He's like, yeah, everybody's got healthcare, and you know, it's that's just, you know, it's, it's just like normalcy for them right and then they come here and they hear about the stories that we have with our healthcare system and they're like what why <laughs> like it just it, it doesn't make a lot of a lot of sense um just just to end um you're, you're a big you're a big runner right i i have been yeah i've done less in the last couple of years but uh, yeah for 30 years my base was like 100 miles a month and Just amazing you know, 20 miles a week so that's yeah. a, that's pretty. It's now pretty. I mainly walk my dog. I, I'm, I'm I'm not doing as much running. Did you ever do any play any other sports? Um, in high school, I played soccer. Yeah. Um, ran cross country. Um, other than that, uh, I, I wasn't like a real big eye hand coordination guy. That's you fine. Know, not that I was. Um, Neither am I. I always thought I like. I was, I always thought that like. Um, Physical fitness was important. So, of course. You know, lifelong sports, that kind of thing. You yeah. Know, um, tennis. Um, so I looked at those kind of things that could. As far like being a coach, um, why I love, like, I'm a football coach, obviously, so I'm biased, but um, why I love football so much is that not only, you know, do you have the physical aspect, but you have the, the um, there's so many things you can learn about life. You know what I mean? So you have... Like yesterday in our game, for example, was a was, you have you know what it feels like to be the, up here and on that high, and then you know how, what it feels like to fail and how to learn from failing, and uh, and which I think is essential for especially uh, growing children to be able to learn how to do that before they get into the real world. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I definitely think that sports are real important to um, a certain um, percentage of our population. You know, and I, I really. Uh, I've always felt like um, some of the high some of my the kids that I knew when I was growing up in high school, they were there because of you know they were really good in yeah. football, basketball, baseball. Yeah. Um, um, one of my uh, the, the one of the kids that graduated from my class, uh, 
I think he was uh, undiagnosed uh, ADHD mm -hmm. the, the whole time he was in school because mm -hmm. he was a really good athlete and somehow, um, you know, teachers, friends helped him get through. You know? Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, he was, he was a successful coach after he left high school. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've come a little ways, I, I think, in putting sports into perspective where I think that some of the coaches um, that were in my school when I was growing up didn't really concentrate on their teaching. Right. And I, I think it's important that if Student you are, athlete, right, not athlete right, student, right, you're a student right. athlete. And I think that um, coaches still should be, you know, should also focus on their teaching too. Absolutely. You know, um, that's what I would hope that you would do, Matt. And that's what I'm that doing. You're gonna, you're, um, you want to be a good coach, but you also don't want to um, put good teaching to the side. Absolutely you know, to, not. The, to the detriment of, you know. Mm -hmm. So, we've been going for an hour and five minutes. I, would, you wanna, would you ever want to do this again? Sure. Yeah, yeah. it was fun. I, 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 was, I wonder how it would be if, uh, if I was sitting here and Fred was uh, our, other, our other colleague. Would, yeah. I, would I get a word in edgewise? <laughs> yeah, I had, I had Fred on and, you know, he's a, <laughs> the dynamic is, we talk about similar stuff, but the dynamic's definitely different between you're yeah. more calm and Fred's more, ah! and I love, right. I love Fred, but right. um, I'm going to have him on again too here pretty soon. But um, yeah, this was really good. And um, we can, maybe we'll do like a post-election um, podcast here, you yeah. know, after the election on Tuesday. So Yeah, that would be good. I I don't think I could do one honestly if uh, if, you, if Trump you, wins. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've, yeah, like I said, I don't I think know. If, what, you, if Trump wins, we all we need. I don't know what I'll do. We need a group here, and we can all just kind of reminisce about what we are gonna or talk about what we are, how we are gonna deal with it. Because yeah, I, I think that would be good for everybody's mental health. Yeah. Um, one more thing I wanted to bring up about Trump: you being someone who works in special ed, which relies on. Uh, Medicaid funding, you know, Trump has proposed to cut one every year of his presidency has proposed to cut 1.6 trillion dollars from Medicaid um, um, uh, Over 10 years um, could, could you speak to what that would do to social services? Well, I just know um, and what it would do to you know people with disabilities and um, people who are el elderly people right. who rely on Medicaid right. Well, like my own mother, um, who's at Woodlawn, um, it took me a good over a good year to apply for Medicaid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had to divest of and all of her assets mm -hmm. down to two thousand five hundred dollars, mm -hmm. um, and it would be impossible to pay mm -hmm. out of pocket mm -hmm. um, what the, what the care that she's getting there. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just my own personal experience with Medicaid. Yeah. Um, I know me as a social services uh, professional, you know, between my job at the school and my, my uh, mentor, my in-home support jobs too, everything is like, we bill for Medicaid at school. Right. I have to do notes for Medicaid for, because that's where all the funding, so, so to hear, geez, that's almost like my career being on the line, so that, that, that really, that scares right. me. Yeah, I you know I don't think he'll ever, even if he's I mean I I don't know what will happen in a second term but I mean that's just the things that people don't really talk about all right. that much right and I honestly I don't uh, I don't really know what the implications are like when we bill I don't know how much money this me either but I know I know it is for reimbursement from Medicaid I don't know how much and I don't know the exact numbers but yeah and I, I know the um, the nursing home is accepting whatever Medicaid is paying them, but I don't know the ins and outs of how much yeah. that is, you know. Um, All right, that was the last thing I wanted to, to say, so, and just talk about, this was really good, Scott. I definitely want you to come on again. So, um, thank you for being on my podcast. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs>